Good evening. This is the Tomorrow Christian reading Deuteronomy 19 in the NLT. But you know the drill. First and always we pray. Dear Lord, help us to be happy and jovial. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit. We are reading your book, the Bible. It's a serious book. It's a reverent book. It's about you, Lord, a holy God. But it's also about a God who gives us his Holy Spirit when we make Jesus our Savior. And it's a spirit of love and peace and joy and happiness and being able to smile and having a nice look on our face and being warm-hearted in a world that's so cold and everybody's so polarized and so, I don't know, Lord, um, just butting heads and contention. Just help us to be just like really different people. I want to be different. I don't want to be angry about everything. I want to be a happy person. I want to be a joyous person, but at the same time know who you are. Because if we know who you are, Lord, then we know where we're going. We know what, who we are and we know where we've come from. Thank you, Lord, for this joy. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So Deuteronomy 19 has got a lot of things in here. I'm just reading BibleHub.com. Deuteronomy 19, Gil's Exposition. It talks about the order to separate three cities of refuge in the land of Canaan. It also talks about a law against landmarks and concerning witnesses. There should be two or three. I think that was the law that they cited for Jesus, although everybody lied and that, or they couldn't agree, right? And that a false witness should be punished. So definitely God gave them a lot of laws, a lot of legal, a lot of how to do things, how to transact things. So. There was definitely, you know, God's myth, myth, um, methodology, God's neatness, God's cleanness, God's precision. I mean, system of law is based on what God is because God is a God of law and a God of love. And the two things are, are, are reconcilable when it comes to God. Let's read Deuteronomy 19 in the NLT. Cities of Refuge. When the Lord your God destroys the nations whose land he is giving you, you will take over their land and settle in their towns and homes. Then you must set apart three cities of refuge in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Survey the territory and divide the land the Lord your God is giving you into three districts with one of these cities in each district. Then anyone who has killed someone can flee to one of these cities of refuge for safety. So I don't know, is this like a sanctuary city? And just, is, is God saying that if you do something that's wrong that you can, is it like you know, abdicating the law. I don't think this is what God is saying, doing or saying or doing here. I mean, there's mercy involved in this, but are we, are we circumventing the law? You've killed somebody. If someone kills another person unintentionally without previous hostility, the slayer may flee to any of these cities to live in safety. For example, supposing someone goes into the forest with a neighbor to cut wood and suppose one of the swings an ax to chop down a tree and the ax head flies off the handle, kills the other person, in such cases, the slayer may flee to one of the cities of refuge to live in safety. So, oh, this is this is kind of something that's different. You know, this is like, you know, you kill someone, manslaughter, is this manslaughter? Where you kill someone, but I don't know if manslaughter is something intentional or unintentional, but this is something that is accidental. You didn't mean to do that, but the person got injured. If the distance to the nearest city of refuge is too far and enraged, Avenger might be able to chase down and kill the person who caused the death. Then the slayer would die unfairly since he has never shown hostility toward the person who died. That is why I'm commanding you to set aside three cities of refuge. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your ancestors and gives you all the land he promised them, 
you must designate three additional cities of refuge. He will give you this land if you are careful to obey all the commands I have given you, if you always love the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So God wants us to love him. This is part of, Jesus said, the, all the law, the law of Moses, the law of God, everything is all hinging on two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. It's all hinged on those things. And they're all found in the Old Testament. You know, the, the Shema, the, the, the Jews repeat, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and soul. Uh, that's, that's the Shema, that's in Deuteronomy, right? Which is the book we're studying, but it's in Deuteronomy. I think it's in Deuteronomy 6. Is it worth reading? Should I read it? I should read it. So Jesus said, so Jesus studied the law. I mean, he's, it's not that he abdicated, he said, love fulfills the law because that's what the law is hinged, is hinged on, right? So, so being under grace doesn't mean that you just escape through the law, that you can just do, un, that you can just bypass the law. He says you're fulfilling the law if you follow his commands. So let's read it, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is what uh, the Lord said to them, right? That they should love God. Uh, loving God, you know, this is something that God wanted us to do. And he also said about being neighborly. He's also said that we've been studying the Torah, the five books, and definitely God wants um, he wants people to love other people. He wants to tr them to respect them, to treat them as they would like to be treated. And I'm just trying to read here Ver Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God says this quite a bit. He says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. This is his command to us as Christians. That we are, it says even to love our enemies. And I tell you, is that hard? Is that not hard? Love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and curse you. Maybe, maybe you can't hang out with them anymore, right? Because you forgive somebody who's done you wrong. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. And I'm not telling you what to do because I've certainly had grudges and dislikes for people, even in my own family, you know, things that have been done to me. It's like, and they didn't seem to care. That's what, that's what kills me. You know, they don't, and the other, when the other party doesn't even acknowledge that they've hurt you, like that just blows you away, right? Here you are trying to forgive them, trying to do what is right. They don't even care. They could care less what you feel. So I guess forgiveness is something that you have to do. It's an internal reset. You know, reconciliation is when both parties, right? You could forgive somebody, but you can. You might not reconcile with them and they might not want to reconcile. They don't even want to reconcile with you, right? I mean, some people are just not, they show no remorse. You know, you, you, you expect someone to apologize to you. They don't care. They don't see it that way. They don't care. 
That's really mind-blowing, isn't it? So he says in verse 8 here, And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your ancestors and gives you all the land he promised them, you must designate three additional cities of refuge. He will give you this land if you are careful to obey all the commands I have given you, if you always love the Lord your God and walk in his ways. That way you will prevent the death of innocent people in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. You will not be held responsible for the death of innocent people. But suppose someone is hostile toward a neighbor and deliberately ambushes and murders him and then flees to one of the cities of refuge. In that case, the elders of the murderer's hometown, so the person who did the killing, must send agents to the city of refuge to bring him back and hand him over to the dead person's avenger to be put to death. So obviously the cities of refuge is not to be used to cover up deliberate crime and murder. Right, God is showing a mercy with the cities of refuge if you've killed somebody by accident. But if you do it deliberately, you are not getting away. The devil is not getting away. And people who commit crimes and all these dictators throughout history may have escaped through death, but they are going to have to rise and face God's judgment. And that's what it says. God's judgment will be... these people. Some of these people um, who have done things these world leaders and then died, they think they've gotten away. They've gotten out of, no, you can't get away from God. I'm sorry, I believe that God has a day of judgment. And in that day of judgment, everything is going to be set properly. In fact, I was just reading the book of Revelation because I have a Bible study. And this is what it says in, this is what it says in one of the, in one of the chapters. Revelation 6 verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So this is a specific crime. These are Christian people who have been put to death and they're under this fifth seal, this altar. I've heard so many things that they're actually under the altar. They're actually conscious or they're not conscious. And this is metaphorical. This is poetic language. You figure out what you believe. But it says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and offend our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers could, would be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So God is not saying that justice is not coming. He's just saying to wait. He is actually saying to wait because he says justice will come. God's justice will be done for every single person that has ever lived on planet Earth. It's hard to believe. I believe it. It's hard to believe, but I believe it. And the thing is that God's justice is, is, is good and true because God knows every single perspective. Nobody can get away from God. God knows every single thing, every single per perspective. I know there's an example um, in the Bible. There's a certain day. It says here, oh yes, I found it. Thank you, Jesus. So in Acts 17, it says here, Acts 17, verse 30, listen to this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, I think that man is Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the judge of the whole world. And when Jesus judges, remember, 
We are sinners, but we have Jesus as our advocate. So our judge and our advocate are the same person. We will receive grace. You won't receive grace for things you've done deliberately wrong, but you will receive grace for your sins if you have surrendered them back to Jesus. But this book says, and I believe it, that nobody gets away with deliberate crimes. Everyone has to stand in judgment of God. I believe it. That settles it. Um, you know, the book says it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. Verse, verse 13. Do not feel sorry for that murderer. Purge from Israel the guilt of murdering innocent people. Then all will go well with you. So God does not like pe when an innocent people suffer. People say, why does God allow innocent people to suffer? God does not like it. And we know that we chose sin in Genesis. We chose it. God gave us, God respects your choice. God does everything for everybody. He gives the Holy Spirit. But if you want to reject God based on what you know and what you can know, God respects your choice. He doesn't like it, but he respects it. Concern for justice. When you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, you must never steal anyone's land by moving the boundary markers your ancestors set up to mark their property. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So again, God is giving us this, this model for law, for the law system, for a fair and equitable outcome where you're given where there's fairness, right? So you're not judged just by one person. You're judged by more than one person to have a whole perspective about things, not to get out of a crime, but to make sure that the punishment fits the crime and to make sure that you have done this crime. But as you can see with Jesus, he was falsely accused and they didn't even agree. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and judges in office at that time. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. Wow, that's serious. In this way, you will purge such evil from among you. Then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such an evil thing. I don't think God wanted, God didn't want us to follow rules. He wanted us to follow the heart. But when these people come out of Egypt and even human nature, human nature does sometimes, it needs penalties because people don't take you seriously if there's no penalties. Like oh, people say, well, you know, um, you got you to discipline your kids or you got to punish your kids and you got to back up what you say. I'm not talking about like malicious punishment, like punitive, like, you know what I mean? But people said, if you're going to tell your kids something or you're going to give them a boundary and you don't do it as the parent, they'll take advantage of you. They're testing you, right? You say, hey, you know what? If you do this, I'm not going to let you play video games for a week. And then you let them play video games for a week when they do something wrong. Um, the, the kids know, hey, you know, dad said that we we take the video games. He didn't. He gave us another chance, man. He's soft. You know, kids will test you. You know, kids are wonderful, but they'll test you, right? So the thing is that this is what God is saying, that there's got to be, there's got to be some backup. You know, God doesn't, God didn't never intended for us to have rules that were punishable. He just wanted us to do it out of love. But that's what sin does, right? It hardens hearts. And everybody knows that about the parents thing. I mean, I'm not a great parent. You know, I was, I, I think I was kind of the parent who just was too soft. I think my wife was a little bit more strict. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's always one parent that's the softy softy and the other person is strict. Maybe you need that. But, you know, both of us loved our children and we still do. Even though the family does not, does not exist anymore. You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I actually heard this was very civilized because if, if you did something to somebody, they just want to kill you, right? Oh, he stepped over, um, he stepped over the property line. I'm going to kill him. But the, the thing is that God says, don't do it like that. If he stepped over your property line and that offended you, then the penalty is um, something like, okay, he's got to mow your grass for a day. Something like that. It's just, you know, you don't, it, it's like God, this to me is making things even. This is making things, and it's also leaving room for the fact that you did something, you were penalized for it, but you live to see another day and you won't do it again. But the, the punishment fits the crime kind of thing. The punishment is not over, like you don't punish someone by like, you know, amputating their foot or something like that. I'm just making up a story off my head. So I actually read that this part here about eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is actually quite civilized compared to what they were doing to each other before. And Jesus also mentioned this verse as well, an eye for an eye. You've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but then he said to forgive. But sometimes, you know, people forgive, like, like you have those stories where someone has killed somebody's son and they can't forgive the person, you know, they're at their probation um, hearing and they don't forgive the person for, for 35 years or something like that because it takes time. It takes time. So, like I said, I don't tell you what to think. I've never faced that situation. I just ask you to think about what I tell you. I hope I never have to. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with my stuttering. God bless you all. This is fun. I hope that God is making an impression on your heart. That is what it's about. Heart transformation. God bless.